Good morning. We're glad you're here today. It's a great day. Very thankful for the opportunity to be together today as God's people. Very thankful for our worship, the opportunity that we've had to sing, to pray, to partake of the Lord's Supper, and to give of our means. We're going to be talking this morning, continuing a lesson that we began last Sunday, and the title of our lesson today, What is Right with the Church of Christ? I am well aware of the fact that there are many people that in days gone by have accentuated in their minds what they perceive to be is wrong with the Church of Christ. I think that there are many things that are right about the Church of Christ. And so in our lesson today, we want to continue our study. What's right with the Church of Christ? I want to again reiterate the fact. There is a divine side to the church, and there is a human element to the church. The divine side, as you well know, is perfect or flawless. The human dimension of the church is imperfect. We are that imperfect part of the church. And so with that in mind, I want us to think for a moment or two today about some other characteristics related to the church. And again, we're talking about what's right with the church of Christ. I want to begin our study today by saying the church of Christ is right in identification. Now we have talked about the origination of the church, the authorization of the church, and the salvation in the church. And I want to begin with Acts chapter 2, because on Pentecost Day, as you well know, the Bible tells us the church began in the city of Jerusalem. You need to understand that Isaiah, many, many years ago, had talked about the Word of the Lord going forth from the city of Jerusalem in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Jesus had said, prior to ascending to heaven in Luke chapter 24, that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in His name, beginning at Jerusalem. So the city of Jerusalem is the originating city for the church of Christ. And so if you go to Acts chapter 2 and you read about Peter and the other apostles preaching on that day, you'll see that Peter and the other apostles, inspired by God, they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance, according to Acts 2, verse 4. The Bible tells us they accentuated the death and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 36 says that Peter proclaimed to that multitude of people, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. When Peter identified Jesus as the Christ, he was saying that he was the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies. Beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the announcement of the promised seed. The Lord Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that promise made centuries earlier. And so, in verse 37, the Bible says, When they heard this, 
They were cut to the heart. The Word of God, as you well know, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So they were pricked or cut to the heart. And they cried out to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now it's interesting to know that Peter on that occasion, and again, guided by the Holy Spirit, said to them in the long ago, listen to him, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Again, I want to reemphasize this fact. Peter did not tell them to accept the Lord Jesus Christ into their heart, to bow their heads and recite this prayer. But rather, Peter said on that day to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus so that they might enjoy forgiveness of sin. Now Jesus had said prior to ascending to heaven, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, verse 16. So verse 41 tells us that those who gladly received His word were baptized. They were immersed in water so that their sins might be forgiven. In verse 47, the Bible says, The Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. So I want you to try to put yourself back in the city of Jerusalem. And imagine that you were one of 3,000 people or so who responded to the gospel on that day. And someone comes up to you on the street corner and they ask you, what church are you a member of? What do you think their response would have been? Now we're talking about the church of Christ is right in identification. There are terms that are used to identify the collective body of Christ. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 47, the Bible says the Lord added to the church daily. Some 95 times the word church is used and the word church means ecclesia. It is the ecclesia, the called out. And the idea is that those who have obeyed the gospel, they have been called out of darkness into the light of Christ. You remember in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter said, you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, whom He has called forth out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's the idea captured by Peter. The church is the called out ones. So had we had the opportunity to have lived in the first century, and somebody approached us on the, on the street corner and said, hey, by the way, what church do you belong to? What do you think we would have said? I suspect we would have responded by saying, well, I'm a member of the church. Well, what church? Well, just the church. That there is no other church. There's just the church. That is significant. The church that we're talking about is pre-denominational. It is non-denominational. The church that we're talking about has no denominational ties. It began before denominationalism was ever born into this world. 
Some 1,400 years later, denominationalism came into existence. So we would have simply said, well, we're just a member of the church. Collectively speaking, we can read about the kingdom of heaven, found some 68 times in the New Testament. You remember Jesus, when He began His public ministry, said in Matthew 4, verse 17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom and church are one and the same. Many times in Scripture, the term kingdom and church are used interchangeably. For example, Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19, when Jesus said, I'll build my church. In verse 19, He said to Peter and the apostles, and I will give unto you the keys to the kingdom. The kingdom signifying that the Lord Jesus is the one who reigns or rules over His body of people. And He is, as Paul said, the King of kings and Lord of lords in 1 Timothy 6, verse 15. Another term that is used to identify God's people, the church of God, found some 38 times in the New Testament. Now, in Mark 9, verse 1, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, there are some of you who stand here that shall not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. He was pointing to the day of Pentecost. When the apostles received that baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit guided them, as I mentioned a moment ago. Now you remember Daniel, that great prophet of God, back in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel, in his interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, identified four world empires that would literally rise and fall in successive order. He began by talking about the Babylonian kingdom over which Nebuchadnezzar served his head. Babylon gave way to the Medes and the Persians. The Medo-Persian Empire fell to the Grecian Empire, which in turn yielded to the Roman Empire. And so in verse 44, Daniel said, And in the days of these kings, that is, in the days of the Roman kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. In other words, we're talking about an eternal kingdom. So when you, when you think about terms that are used to identify the collective body of Christ, we can read about the church, we can read about the kingdom of heaven, we can read about the kingdom of God. We can also read about the churches of Christ in Romans 16, verse 16. I am well aware of the fact that there are many people in the world today, religiously speaking, who believe in their heart of hearts that the church of Christ was founded by Thomas and Alexander Campbell. But I want you to think about something. Alexander Campbell was not born until 1788. 1788. In Romans chapter 16, verse 16, Paul said, writing to the saints in Rome, the churches of Christ salute you. Well, how, how could that have been the case? The churches of Christ salute you. Well, the reason is because the church of Christ was already in existence. The church of Christ was not founded by Alexander Campbell. When I was in my 20s, I remember somebody calling me on one occasion a Campbellite. Well, I'm not a Campbellite. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
Paul said concerning the saints in Corinth, some were saying, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I am of Paul. And Paul asked this question, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And the answer is no. Jesus is the one that bought the church. He built it. He bought it. It belongs to Him. Since He built it, He bought it. It belongs to Him. Don't you think that the church ought to wear His name? When we talk about the church of Christ, and I want, you to get, I want us to get this. When we talk about the church of Christ, we are not talking about a church that is denominational in nature. The church that we're talking about belongs to Christ. It is the church of Christ because it belongs to Him. It is not denominational. It is pre-denominational. It is non-denominational. It belongs to Jesus. If somebody were to ask me, what are you? I would say I'm a Christian. Well, what church do you belong to? I belong to the church. I belong to the kingdom of heaven. I belong to the kingdom of God. I belong to the church of Christ. Because I am a member of the church that Jesus bought and built, and it belongs to Him. And if you're a child of God, you belong to the Lord. Hebrews 12, 23. We are the church of the firstborn. Furthermore, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, I read about the church of God. If somebody had asked me in the first century, what church do you belong to? And I had said, I belong to the church of God. Would that have been biblical? Yes, it would have. Well, why? Because it's in Scripture. These are collective terms that are used to identify the body that belongs to Jesus. Now we read about the church of the living God in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And again, all of these terms point to the same institution, the church. So let me ask this question. Why would I want to wear any name that does not glorify the Lord Jesus Christ? Somebody says, well, it doesn't matter what name you wear. Really? It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what name you wear, religiously speaking. Well, if the church belongs to Jesus and He built it and bought it, and God is glorified in the church, don't you think that we ought to wear the name that is given to us, biblically speaking? Now you think about the religious division that exists in our, in our world today. There are thousands of different denominations. They wear different names and they teach different things. How does that square with Scripture? It does not square with Scripture, does it? No, as a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul addressed the division that existed in the church at Corinth. And he said, I beseech you, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. God's desire is that we would all be submissive to the apostles' doctrine. In Acts 2, verse 42, the Bible says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That is, in the teaching that was given to the apostles, 
by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had been promised by Jesus. Jesus said in John 16, verse 13, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of His own, but rather the Holy Spirit guided these men to record what we call identifying terms related to the church. Now, individually speaking, how would we identify those who belong to the body of Christ? Well, the Bible uses a number of terms to identify us, and I want you to think about the terms that are used in the Bible. How many of you brought your Bible today? Did you bring your Bible? Look, if we're here to study the Bible, we need to bring the Bible, don't we? You know, Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. I want you to, I want you to make sure that what I'm saying is found in this book. You check it out. You make sure this book reigns supreme, doesn't it? The psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. Jesus said, all authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. If we're going to go to heaven, we've got to make sure that we do the will of the Father in heaven. Matthew 7, 21. So when we talk about people that belong to the body of Christ in the first century, let me tell you what I can read in the Scripture. I can read of believers in Acts chapter 5, verse 14. The term believer is sometimes used as a synecdoche. It is a part that stands for the whole. So when we talk about a believer, a believer is somebody who has embraced the gospel of Christ. They are obedient to the faith. They have done what Peter commanded in Acts 2 verse 30, in verse 38, and they have been added to the church, Acts 2 verse 47. How do I know that? Because Luke said, and the believers were increasingly added to the Lord. So believers is a biblical name, isn't it? Not only do I read of believers, but I read of individuals who were identified as disciples. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. A disciple is a learner. Now Jesus is the master teacher. We are to be submissive to the teaching of Jesus. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that we are to be like Christ. We are His disciples. And Jesus said in John chapter 8, Then are you my disciples indeed, if what? If you continue in my word. So a disciple is someone who takes what the Lord has said, incorporates that into his or her life, and bears fruit unto God. So in the first century, had you asked somebody, well, what are you? They would have said, well, I'm a believer. I am a disciple. In Acts chapter 9 verse 2, the Bible says they were followers of the way. Well, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. Why would we be following the way? Because He is the only way to heaven, isn't He? So, we are identified as believers, disciples, followers of the way. Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the Bible tells us that those who were in Antioch were first called Christians. Now, last week in our study, we said that the word Christian, the suffix of the word Christian, I-A-N, that means belonging to. 
So when I say I am a Christian, what I am saying is I belong to Jesus. Now what if somebody, somebody had said in the first century, what are you? And they had said, well, I'm an Apollite. I'm a Paulite. Or I'm a follower of Cephas. Look, if you're going to be a disciple of someone, if you're going to be a part of them, then number one, they've got to be, they have, they have got to have been crucified for you, and you've got to be baptized in their name. Jesus was crucified for us, and we are baptized into his name, therefore we can rightly claim the identification of a Christian, can't we? Now you think about how many people in the world today, were you to ask them, what are you? What would they say? There are a lot of folks that would tell you they are something other than, and you fill in the blank, they would identify with the religious body, but they would never think to say, I'm a believer, I'm a disciple, I'm a follower of the way, I'm just a Christian. Nothing more, nothing less. Does it matter what we call ourselves? Yes, it does. Furthermore, we are identified as servants, aren't we? Jesus said the servant is not above his master. If we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are a servant of the Most High God. When Paul wrote to the saints in Rome, he began by introducing himself not as an apostle, not as a preacher, not as an inspired writer, not as a missionary, but as a servant of God. That's what we are. If you belong to the Lord, you're a servant. Or you're supposed to be a servant. Not only are we servants, but the Bible says that we are, listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Those of us who belong to the family of God, we are identified as saints. Saints. This term really derives from the word sanctified. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he addressed them as members of the church of God, sanctified in Christ Jesus, and he said, called to be saints. If you are a child of God, you are a saint of the Most High God. Did you know that? Now, there are a lot of folks in the world today that do not believe they are saints. Some would say, well, I don't live like a saint. Well, that may be the case. But if you have been baptized into Christ, you are a saint of the Most High God. You have been set apart, sanctified in Christ Jesus. And Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1, those who have obeyed the gospel, they have been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. What is the kingdom? It is the church. Matthew 16, 18 and 19. Those who have been delivered out of the power of darkness have been translated into the church, the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. We're not voted into the church. We don't join the church. The Lord Jesus adds us to the church, doesn't He? The Lord's the one that does the adding. And so as a child of God, we are saints. Furthermore, the Bible tells us we are priests. You know, there are some today 
that are pushing for women to be a part of the quote-unquote priesthood. Let me tell you what, in the Lord's church, women are already priests. Women are priests of the, of the Most High God. How do I know that? 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter said that we are priests of Almighty God. We offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you what. When you begin to look at what the Bible say, says, is it not plain? Is it not clear? Now you think about the massive confusion that exists in the religious world today. And we talk about one group saying this, another group saying that, another group says this, another group says that. you got one group over here wearing this name, another group wearing this name, another group wearing that name. There is absolute confusion, religiously speaking. Was that God's plan? Absolutely not. Paul said God is not the author of confusion. Wherein does the problem lie, with God or man? It, it lies with man, doesn't it? Now you think about how important this is. Look, we're not talking about matters of opinion here. This isn't something that I've concocted. This is divine truth. If we want to go to heaven, we've got to make sure that we do things biblically, don't we? So you think about in the first century, the church of Christ, and think about this today. The church of Christ is right in identification. Can you find your church in the Bible? Is your church in the Bible? Listen very carefully, please. If you can't read your church's name in the Bible, then you need to be concerned. Why is that? Because the Bible says in Ephesians 5 verse 23, Jesus is the Savior of the body. And what is the body? He is the head of the body, the church. And how many churches are there? There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. You mean to tell me there's just one church? That's what the Bible says. Are you a member of the body that you can read about in this book? Now somebody says it really doesn't matter. I beg to differ. It does matter. Why does it differ? Because the apostles' doctrine says that Jesus is the Savior of the body, and the body's the church. That means if you're not in the church, listen very carefully, if you're not in the church that you read about in this book called the Bible, you're not in the Lord's church. There's a difference, isn't there? Is there a difference between a genuine $20 bill and a counterfeit? Is there a difference? So if I do something other than what they did in the first century, and I practice something other than what they practiced in the first century, and I wear a name that is something other than what they wore in the first century, am I a New Testament Christian? I'll let you answer that. Now look, we've got a lot of confusion in the religious world today, and it all goes back to this. What does the Bible say? When the smoke clears, all that really matters is what does the truth of God say? Now, I want to bring this home. What we're talking about is extremely important. Your salvation hinges on what we're talking about today. Now you think about that. You're going to be saved or lost on the basis 
of whether or not you have obeyed the will of God. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, in your, in your name done many mighty works? In your name cast out demons? And Jesus said, Then will I profess unto them, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Listen to him. I never knew you. That is a frightening statement. Can you find your church in the Bible? Now look. It's a tough question. But it's a fair question. And the reason it's fair is because the Lord Jesus wants us to do, He wants us to do the Father's will, doesn't He? He wants us to be submissive to His will. So, in John chapter 12, verse 48, I want you to look at John 12, verse 48 with me. I want to read it for you. If you don't have this verse underlined, I would encourage you to underline it in the Bible. Listen to what Jesus said. He who rejects me does not receive my words, has that which judges him. Now note, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. What's God going to use as the standard to judge us? The confessions of faith, the creeds that have been written and penned by men down through the years, a catechism that has been developed by some individual. No, He's going to judge us by this book. And so it would only stand to reason that we would want to do biblical things in biblical ways. And that we would want to call biblical, biblical things by biblical terms. Just stands to reason. So, the church of Christ is right in identification. And please, don't leave here today thinking that I'm trying to say the church of Christ is a quote-unquote better denomination. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not trying to say that we're better than everybody else. And, and please do not think that I'm trying to be condescending, unloving, or unkind. What I'm trying to do is share with you what the Bible teaches and why it is so imperative that we make sure that our lives are aligned to this book that we call the Bible. So, in closing today, I want to ask you, are you a member of the church that you read about in the Bible? Last Sunday night, a lady came forward and she said, I am coming out of a church that I don't read about in the Bible and I want to be baptized into Christ. Could it be that you're here today and you're not a member of the church that you read about in this book? You just want to be a Christian, nothing more, nothing less. You just want to be a member of the church. The church that you read about in Scripture. If you're here today and you haven't responded to the gospel of Christ, I urge you to do that today. If you're here today and you are not faithful to His cause, please make it right with God today. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just 
to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?